0: Let's pray. Father, as we come today, we come some in our church with heavy hearts, the, the Benton family losing two loved ones. Lord, we, uh, our feelings are complicated in both of these deaths because both of them loved you, had repented of sin and trusted in Jesus and looked forward to seeing you one day. You were their treasure. And so we both grieve and rejoice I knew Albert, and Lord, I, I thank you for his love for Scripture, and I thank you that he was continually learning to the very end, that he was joyful in the middle of the trials of life. And so, we, but we, so we pray for both families today that you, would, that you would comfort them with your love, that you would walk, remind them that you walk with them through the valley of the shadow of death, and that you would use their lives and their memories to point more people to hope in you and to look forward to the resurrection. God, as we gather here today, we have so many things that uh, weigh on our hearts. And so I pray that you would use today to remind us that you are bigger than all of those things. I pray that today that you would remind us that you send forth your love and your faithfulness into the everyday realities that we deal with. The daily problems, the daily trials, but also the big and the hard decisions, the ongoing conflicts, the ongoing difficulties that we don't know how to solve. I pray today in this service as we gather that you would use our words and our songs and our witness and our community to point each other to the reality that you have love and faithfulness for us. God, I pray that today you would use our our worship as a weapon in our lives. God, I pray that you would use our singing, that you would use your word in our heart, that you would use our affections to reshape the way that we think and the way that we act, the way that we look at the world, the way that we approach the world this week. God, I pray that it would be a weapon in our lives against the darkness that wants to come in, that wants to crowd out a love for you, that wants to take us down a road of temptation so that we love people and things and possessions and desires more than we love you. And I pray that our worship would be the weapon that, that drives those things away in our lives. God, I pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Several years ago, I met a guy, became friends with a guy, who is getting ready to leave his career and go to Bosnia as a missionary. Uh, He and his family, their kids were mostly grown. And so he began telling me about the situation in Bosnia, what he was excited about. I was super curious because, as many of you know, my name when I was a kid was Yugoslavian, and then it became Croatian when Croatia, Bosnia, Serbia, and several countries split up. So he's filling me in on this, and he told me that there there were 300 believers in Bosnia, which is a country of about 2 to 3 million people. For comparison, there are about 285 people attending churches like ours in Scott County in a given Sunday. And so in the entire country of Bosnia, with 2 to 3 million people, they have about the same number of believers as Scott County does. So he was kind of telling me about this and like what they were going to be doing and what he was excited about and what he was learning And then he he took a trip to Bosnia and came back, and he told me one of the things that he saw when he was there is that in one of the churches that they went to, he found out that the pastor and the worship leader hadn't spoken in two years. There was some kind of conflict going on. And I was like, well, there you go. There's your problem. Like, if the church can't fix the, the relationships within the leadership, like, what what difference are they going to make in the country and i say that kind of like laughing like as if i knew how the whole thing was but the longer that i've lived the more that i've realized that conflict in the church is not restricted to a few churches in bosnia conflict is something that happens in churches everywhere scott county included but even beyond the level of just like church conflict Conflict is something that families deal with. That We hear about another family's problem. Someone's problem with a parent, problem with a sibling, problem between cousins. And we know how to solve their problem, but the reality is it's not just a few families that deal with conflict. It's not just a few workplaces that deal with conflict. It's every family, every workplace, and every church that deals with conflict. We're in a series called Everyday Matters. We've been walking through the book of Philippians. One of the reasons I fell in love with it is that Paul writes to a church where there's not something majorly wrong. And yet he still has dangers and warnings he wants to reach out and talk to them about. And conflict is one of those things. So that we come here today and you might hear me say, conflict in the church, conflict in families, conflict in workplaces, and maybe you're sitting there today going, I wish so-and-so would perk up and listen. You might be going, I know who Joe's talking to right now. But what I think God is calling all of us to do is to slow down and say, God, what are you talking to me about in conflict? Because it's easy for me to think about somebody else that needs to reconcile. It's easy for me to think about somebody else that needs to fix something. But Paul writes to a good church and says, conflict is something you'll deal with too. Conflict is something that everybody deals with. And so God is calling us as we go today to Philippians chapter four. If you've got your Bible, turn with me. God is calling all of us today to slow down and say, how do we deal with conflict in following Jesus? How, how, do I, how do I follow Jesus in my family, in my workplace? How, how do I follow Jesus in my relationships when conflict is a part of life? When I deal with conflict. The world around us tells us lots of different ways to deal with conflict. It could be to hit it head on, tell it like it is, let them have it. The world around us might say, well, try to overlook it and stuff it down and stuff it down and stuff it down. But unfortunately, I think the world's way of stuffing down conflict ends up just one day, it it all just can't be crammed in anymore and it explodes. The world's way of confronting conflict by pointing fingers and yelling and screaming and let me fix this ends up, is not God's way of handling conflict, ends up with, More hurt feelings, broken relationships, churches that split, people that never return to church again. And so we come to this passage today going, Well, we've heard of other ways to deal with conflict. What is God calling us to do in conflict? And I feel like I probably should say this somebody will likely think they need to call me tomorrow morning and say, Joe, what conflict are you speaking about? It's happened occasionally. I'm not speaking about conflict because this is something that I decided, man, our church really needs to deal with that. Because honestly, if I had a conflict, I would, to the best of my ability, go to that person. So you don't have to worry that this was something that happened this week or this month or this year, and Joe said, we need a sermon on conflict. No, you see, a sermon should be all of us coming and hearing what God has to say. And so since the early fall, we've been walking through Philippians, and so it would be weird if I skipped this. It would be odd if I like, decided to pick it out, but it would also be weird if I skip it. And so today as we come to this, this is not my trying to deal with somebody in the church. This isn't me trying to point a finger at a specific person, but this is God pointing his finger at all of us and saying, you deal with conflict. And this is what it means to walk with Jesus in conflict. So Philippians chapter 4, today we're going to be looking at verses 2 and 3. Verse 2, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us have ears to hear what you have to say to us. In our conflicts, in our families, in our workplaces, in our friendships, in our church, God, I pray that you would help us to follow Jesus in Jesus' name, Amen. Philippi- we're nearing the end of the book of Philippians. Chapter four is where Paul is kind of turning into the home stretch, and he doesn't. He starts just like listing. Oh, I wanted to make mention this, and I wanted to mention this, and he begins to doing almost like a, a machine gun series of things. But here in verses 2 and 3, he takes a moment and he speaks by name to two women. Strange names. None of you have probably named a child, Yoidea or Syntyche. But he, he names them by name because in this letter to a church that he loves, he wants to reach out to women that he loves and to a church that he loves and says, Guys, guys. I am pleading. He, he says the word with both of them. I am pleading with both of you. What I think God is calling to you and I in this is, he is God is calling you and I in all of the conflicts of our lives to follow Jesus in our conflicts. Specifically, God is calling you and I to follow Jesus in conflict. This isn't simply, here's how to deal with conflict. It's follow Jesus in conflict. I want to show you in these verses two ways to follow Jesus in conflict. Two ways that God is calling his people to follow Jesus in conflict. First, reconcile in the Lord. Look at verse 2. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. He, is, he uses the, the, the word, the same mind that he has already used in Philippians chapter 2, verse 2. You may flip over there so you can see this. You see, Paul has already spoken about a whole lot of different topics. Specifically, the, the, the great subject of Jesus becoming a man. Humbling himself and serving and then being exalted. And in verse, chapter 12, 2, verse 2, he says, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. And he, compare, he draws that and says, be like-minded. And he's saying, be like Be like-minded the way Jesus was like the way Jesus humbled himself and served. And so here in I'm sorry, Philippians chapter four verse two, he is speaking specifically to two people, and he's trying to apply to them that verse, chapter two verse two. Be of the same mind, agree. It is a calling. Come and reconcile with each other. Do the the hard work so that you are united in your mind and in your heart. Agree in the Lord, maybe your translation says. The the plea is for them to reconcile. That if you're going to be in the church, an application of what it means to follow Jesus is to be committed to reconciling. Being committed to to reconciling. Not committed to being right and not committed to winning, but being committed to being reconciled. With those that have hurt you or that you have hurt. But what I want you to notice is the, the very last words of verse 2. This is, this is what's so important, I think, for you and I is that he says, I am pleading with you to be of the same mind or to agree in the Lord. He is grounding co- conflict in the Lordship of Jesus. That if you are in Christ and following Jesus, then conflict is an occasion for you to say, Jesus, you will be Lord and not me. The world's way of dealing dealing with conflict, which is power and struggle and winning and getting your way, is not the way of those who follow the Lord. Because if we're in the Lord, then that means that he's got to be the one that wins, not us. That means he has got to be the one that gets his way, not us. What it means to follow Jesus in conflict is to, to make and to place Christ as Lord in our hearts, especially in conflict. So we can think about it in the context of the church, but we can also think about it in the context of the last fight that you had in your home. Maybe it was in your car on the way to church. Most in my experience, in my heart, I'll just be honest, in my heart, most conflicts come down to me saying, nobody's going to treat me like that. Nobody's going to take my time. Nobody's going to take my authority. Nobody's going to talk that way to me. Nobody's going to do that to me. But Jesus says that the Lordship of Christ says, "There, I am willing to humble myself because I love the Lord. And so every conflict is not about me getting my way, but Jesus getting his way in me. We don't get to control the people that we're in conflict with. We don't get to control the history of conflict in our own church. But we do get to make Jesus Christ Lord of our lives and Lord of our hearts in the middle of a conflict. I think what Paul is calling you and I to today is that because of the record, because of the example, and because of the authority of the Lord, we will deal with conflict differently. We will deal with it differently with our children, adult children or young children. We will deal with conflict with our cousins and our brothers and sisters differently because of the record, example, and authority of the Lord. We will deal with conflict in our workplace differently than our coworkers will because of the record, example, and authority of Jesus. I think God is calling you and I to value the unity of mind and purpose and fellowship because we have so grounded ourselves in the Lordship of Christ. So often, our hearts are grounded in the lordship of self. And here, God is calling us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 2, to say, no, the lordship will be Christ's. And so I will value unity of mind and purpose and fellowship in the church and in our marriages and with our kids and with our cousins in our workplaces. Not because we want it, but because Jesus wants it. How do we know that that's true? Flip, uh, I'm sorry, Psalm chapter 1, I'm sorry. yeah, Psalm 133:1. One. Psalm 133:1. One. Back in the Old Testament, it, this, is, this is the Lord's will. Psalm chapter 133 verse one. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says, As much as it is possible for you, live at peace with all men. There is good news there that some things in peace don't, don't um, rely on us. There are some relationships that we cannot reconcile because the other person won't be reconciled. But as much as it is possible with me, because of the lordship of Christ, I am called to live at peace in my marriage and in my family. In my workplace, in our church, and in our community, will we value this so highly because we love the Lord? Let me plead with you. Don't think of somebody else right now in our church that needs to reconcile. Don't think right now about somebody else in your life that needs their relationships reconciled. Instead, we should each be saying, God, is there any reconciling work that I should be doing? God, is there anybody that I haven't made every effort to live at peace with them? I just stuffed it down and said I'm going to ignore it. But I've been brooding. I've been brooding about this. I've been bitter about it. I've called it frustration. But God, search my heart because of the Lordship of Christ so that I will reconcile in the Lord. That's the first way to follow Jesus in conflict. The second way this passage calls us to follow Jesus in conflict is to help others reconcile. In some way, the, the first one is hard. The first one's really hard to think about somebody that has hurt you, somebody that's disappointed you, somebody that's even wronged you, and reconcile. But another hard step is this step, verse 3, of saying, you know what, I am not, I am not an island, and the people in my life are not an island. Look at, look at verse 3. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are in the book of life. It's not exactly obvious if the guy's name is true companion or if it's just a term that he's using for somebody. But Paul turns his attention away from the women and he says, whoever this friend is, whoever this friend is, he says, and you please help him they're not going to do it on their own they're struggling to do it and we know it i've i've heard word of it all these long miles away i've heard of this ongoing conflict and so he says my friend my true companion my genuine friend help these women he paul is saying that conflict is not simply, in the church especially, is not simply a matter of a conflict between one person and another. It is the business of the entire church to work to agree in the Lord. To say, if somebody has something against somebody else, that affects the whole body. And we don't say through hands often, well, it doesn't affect me because it didn't hurt me. No, it is all of our job, because what Paul is telling us is that partnership, of the, in the gospel is what's at stake in conflict in the church. Partnership in the gospel. He has said, these women have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers. Paul is saying that for the church, conflicts, conflict disrupts the progress of the gospel. And so it is all of our business to, as much as we can, to plead with each other and to encourage each other in the Lord to reconcile. Which means that the cause of the gospel in in Manchester and Scott County is at stake in us reconciling with each other. It's not simply, are we living comfortably? Are, Are we getting along? But for the gospel to go out and produce fruit in Manchester and in Scott County, for the gospel to produce fruit in our community, it takes a church Who takes the lordship of Christ seriously enough to do the hard work of reconciling what's wrong. You see, these verses tell us that conflict is a discipleship issue. Conflict is not simply an interruption of our life as a church. It's actually the occasion for us to follow Jesus. And so if you have unreconciled relationships with children or siblings or parents, that is a discipleship issue. If you have unreconciled relationships with people in our church or in our community, the good news is it's a discipleship issue and you get the opportunity to follow Jesus. If we know of somebody who has a conflict with somebody else, it's a big issue but it's a discipleship issue that we should expect and we have a way through together. So that God is calling us in the church to identify agreement, humility, and reconciliation as God's call to all of us. So this word, this word for your, your marriage is that if there is ongoing, unresolved conflict in your marriage, it is a discipleship issue that Jesus knows about and is ready for it's not a point of shame that says you can't follow jesus because right now you're in conflict and you're struggling this passage is telling us the good news that the the gospel applies to that too you can apply this you can you can walk with jesus with the in lordship of christ as much as possible with you and god is not surprised This means that when you hear about conflict between people, this becomes an opportunity to encourage others to resolve it in a godly way. To be a a minister along with Jesus in helping two people reconcile. Conflict is a big issue, this says. And it's a call to the church to help each other reconcile. When Emma and I got married, you know... many of you who are married, been through a wedding, you, there's so many details to think about that you kind of lose track of everything. And somewhere along the line, my best man asked me for the keys to the car so he could pull that around. And I didn't even think, oh, they're going to do something. You know, so they do the kind of normal thing where you decorate the car and you write, just married and whatever on there. But the thing that they did that was different is they threw confetti in the air conditioning vents. So that as soon as we get in and start the car up and the air conditioner starts up, which was cool, except all of the confetti didn't come out. And so from then on, you know, every week or so, poof, one little piece of confetti would come flying out of the air conditioning vent. You know, another week would go by, another one would come flying out of the air conditioning vent. Eventually, we sold that car to another family in our church and we were doing some stuff with the youth group later and this 18-year-old girl, her parents had actually bought it for her. And she was like, yeah, I pretty regularly get a piece of confetti, go poof, come flying out of the air conditioning vent. And for us, we just kind of laugh because it's a reminder of a beautiful and fun day in our lives. But, and she just regularly would get a little piece of confetti coming flying out, which is honestly not that big of a problem. You don't go into the the mechanic shop to get all of the confetti taken out of your air conditioning vent. But if you've ever missed a gear in the car, and you go, I don't have third gear anymore, and I've been driving around, and the transmission doesn't shift anymore, then you know that's a different class of problem than confetti coming flying out of the air conditioner. When, when, when you can't park and go in reverse because you know the car probably won't do that, then that's the kind of issue where you go, okay, I need to make sure I park very carefully so I can always pull out forward. Those kinds of issues become major issues. And I'm telling you that story because there are some things in our lives that we think are big issues and some things that are minor issues. This passage says conflict is a big issue. Follow Jesus through it. Follow Jesus through it. Help one another reconcile so that when somebody comes and says, this is something somebody did to me, that is an occasion for all of us to say, you know what? That's a time I will go with you to help make that relationship right. Some of you have heard me say that and maybe now you understand why I say that. When somebody comes to me and says, here's a problem, I say, I will go with you to help you reconcile that because this is what God calls us to. He says conflict is a big issue. It's a discipleship issue. shouldn't surprise us, and so help each other deal with it in a godly way. There is hope for it if we commit ourselves to following Jesus. I think the question this this asks us is, are we ready to pray for those conflicts we know about? Are we ready to give biblical counsel to those that we know are in conflict? And more than that, are we ready to go with each other to make those things right? Sometimes we go and say, hey, you hurt me. And sometimes we go and say, what I did to you was wrong. Are we willing to go with each other to to make those things right? Are we in our marriages ready to go to each other and say, what I did to you was wrong? Or can you help me understand because this was really hurtful? Conflict is not something that we just stuff down, shove aside, and think we can follow Jesus without dealing with it. Conflict is a discipleship issue, and this passage is a call to you and I to follow Jesus in conflict as much as it's possible for us. So this passage calls us to resolve our conflict, to help each other resolve conflict, but what if you're here and you realize there are relationships that are unresolved. You never said anything. Maybe there are some relationships you can never resolve because the person died before you could apologize or before, or before you could go to them to reconcile that relationship. Maybe you're, you're here, and, and you feel guilt and say, God, I have not been following you in conflict, not in my marriage, not with my kid, not with my adult children. God, I have not followed your lordship in any of this area. Where is the good news for me? Where is the good news? How can we do this, follow Jesus in conflict when our record has been so bad? This passage calls us to reconcile with anybody that we're in conflict with as much as it's possible for us. What if you feel beaten up, afraid, ashamed of how you've handled conflict in the past? What if you know that you have broken fellowship and you've broken relationships? Where is the good news for you? The good news in this passage is that if you are in Christ, your record is of handling conflict perfectly. Philippians chapter 2 is your record if you are in Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 says that Jesus humbled himself in your place, serving those who would betray him in your place. And he now gives you his power through the Holy Spirit to serve and to pursue and to reconcile. From the cross, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And that is your record if you are in Christ. That is your identity, and that is God's command for you. That is God's power at work in you. So this passage tells us that conflict is a discipleship issue, and it is a call for us to follow Jesus in conflict. I want you to imagine what might change in your home when you follow the Lordship of Christ in this way, no matter what everybody else decides. Imagine what happens to the conflict in your home when you have have made it your aim and your goal and you to follow Jesus in the middle of whatever conflict comes. That means as far as possible for you, you will have a different kind of peace. Imagine what happens for, for somebody on the outside looking at at our church that is living under the Lordship of Christ and going and pursuing to resolve relationship problems, conflict in our church. Imagine what happens in our church when we live under the Lordship of Christ and say, okay, as much as it's possible for us, we are going to love Jesus more than winning and we will go to each other when something is wrong. That, makes, that changes the trajectory of a church. And makes it a good news kind of church. What I want you to notice, the very last thing, is that all of this is headed for some place. At the end of verse 3, he says, whose names are in the book of life. All of this is headed for a moment when we will one day see and experience the peace of Christ preparing for glory. And this whole passage says that even in your conflicts, you can prepare for that moment. And so I want you to imagine what heaven on earth looks like when we can love one another enough to reconcile and to serve and to humble ourselves and to help each other. I think that is what it looks like to prepare for glory. Let's pray. God, your word is clear to us that it applies in every area of our lives, every relationship that we have. I pray that you would help us live under the lordship of Christ by resolving our conflicts and helping each other to agree in the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.